Max's Monday Morning Market Mania is back. And you guessed it, I'm Max. Thank you for joining me. This is the New School Project. I'm here to talk about finance, economics, investing, all the stuff that we didn't learn in the formal education system. I'm bringing it to you because I feel it's important. I'm here to inspire other people to take a hold of their financial lives because nobody is going to be there to save us. And if we want to guarantee prosperity and freedom for ourselves, we need to gain financial freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about. So what's the big news for today? Big news was announced last week. It was either Wednesday or Thursday. We are officially in a recession, depending on whose definition you're using. People are trying to change that at the moment, but we'll get into that in a minute. GDP fell 0.9% in the second quarter of 2022. This is a CNBC article. Uh, the Dow Jones was expecting a 0.3% gain, but instead they got a 0.9% decline. So this is the second consecutive quarter of declining GDP. And what does that mean? Well, for all of history before, uh, you know, maybe the last month or two, that would mean a recession. But now that we're approaching this, what used to be a recession, then now people are changing the definitions. You know, this administration, the Biden administration, they're telling us, oh, well, t contrary to before, uh, two consecutive quarters does not necessarily mean a recession. Uh, calling bullshit. I mean, it's, it's propaganda. We've seen it before, and it's just meant to make everyone more, it's, they want to make it so that we're not as triggered and unhappy and us being in a recession gives everyone a good excuse to basically give this administration shit and that's not what they want. So they're trying to make it seem a little less bad than it is. They're trying to use other adjustments like, oh, well, the unemployment rate isn't as low as before. So we're not in a recession. They're switching the definition to, uh, it's not two quarters of declining GDP, it's actually a general slowing of the economy. Well, two quarters of declining GDP indicates a slowing of the economy. So make your own judgments. I call this a recession. Most traditional economists will call this a recession and that's what we're in. And this is the first Max's Morning Market Mania where we are in a recession. So what's next? Uh, we saw a slew of editing on Wikipedia for the definition of recession. So this was pretty interesting because I, I heard on a podcast somebody said that it was actually on Real AF. Uh, Andy mentioned that, Andy Frisella mentioned, oh, hence the shirt. Anyone who's looking, I'm repping my Real AF shirt. That's for the podcast. But he mentioned that Wikipedia saw 41 edits in just a matter of days for the definition of recession. And uh, in this article, they mentioned that they actually halted all editing on Wikipedia and whether the edits were useless or whatever, it just, it just adds to the whole fact that they are kind of trying to change the definition of recession and other people are getting behind it. And as you know, it's, it's pretty easy to gain accessibility to edit Wikipedia articles and whatnot. So a lot of Joe Blows went in and they offered their two cents. And now this is how people get confused. They keep changing definitions and shit. People are able to edit these articles. So obviously it's not, it's not always gonna be fact, but I just thought that was interesting because, well, as I said, they, they don't want it to be a recession because recessions are bad, but 
I'll get into some more facts about recessions in a little bit after this next article. I've, I pulled up some stuff from Investopedia, one of my favorite resources, just to get some updated facts on all the latest recessions. And they're not all bad. They're not all good, though. Uh, they vary in lengths and, uh, how, and how bad they are. But like I said, I'll get into that. The next article I wanted to talk about was Pfizer quarterly sales surge to record high, driven by COVID vaccine and antiviral treatment, Paxlovid. So I'm not too familiar with Paxlovid, but I did hear from this article that in the year 2022, they are, Pfizer is expected to make $22 billion in net income from Paxlovid and $32 billion from their vaccine. So anybody who knows me, they probably know my stance on the vaccine. Uh, it's not that important because this is Max's morning market mania, but the bottom line is it is insanely profitable. It is stupidly profitable to mandate a vaccine on everybody in the country. You know, they, they encouraged us to get vaccinated. They, they gave us incentives to get vaccinated. And when those didn't work, they would shame us to get vaccinated. They would coerce us to get vaccinated and they would threaten our careers to get us vaccinated. People who were in the military, they got dishonorably discharged for refusing this experimental vaccine. And for young, healthy individuals like myself, COVID is not a threat to our health. And even Fauci admitted, you know, if a kid goes into the hospital with a broken leg and they give him a COVID test and he tests positive, that number does indeed go into the database of COVID hospitalizations. And along with that, we know that 96% of the cases were people, 96% of the hospitalizations and deaths, they were from people with 2.6 comorbidities on average. And at some point we did see that the average COVID death age was older than the average life expectancy. So anybody who does some critical thinking, they know that this virus is not the end of the world. I feel as though it was exaggerated and it was exaggerated for profit and Pfizer was at the end of that profit with their sales surging to record in quarter two of 2022. So all you people that were dishonest with us, fuck you. Pfizer, you made an absolute killing. It's profitable to mandate vaccines. Uh, although their stock didn't increase that much this week, but you know, for the company owners, they care about the profits. Yeah, the share price, it matters, but uh, anywho, you know, that's, that's kind of enough. I could talk a little bit more about it, but I would encourage anybody, if, if you want to learn more about this, I mean, the media, it's untrustworthy a lot of the time. Uh, you got to just use your critical thinking hat and uh, seek outside articles and sources and doctors. You know, I listen to Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Robert Malone, and... Uh, they're two well-qualified uh, doctors who have treated COVID patients. Robert Malone invented the mRNA uh, vaccine. I read a lot about this in Robert F. Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci. So this isn't really much financial, but uh, I was just giving my opinion on this because I don't really like Pfizer. I don't like how this has kind of been one big scam just for profit because we were taken advantage of for profit, and that's that's not... That's just against my, my philosophies. So uh, I'm gonna, actually we got a few more uh, articles that I do wanna talk about, but 
uh, there is a few things that I'm going to discuss before that. So, uh, so we saw some rate hikes last week, and you know we got the recession news either Wednesday or Thursday. I forget which, but on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve hiked rates 75 basis points. And contrary to what you think would happen, you know, the Federal Reserve, when they increase the, the rates by 75 basis points, that means the Fed funds rate goes up 0.75%. So in that scenario, I would expect all other bonds to increase their yield. But in fact, they didn't. And my best explanation for that is that uh, with the Federal Reserve hiking rates, that indicates that you know, a recession is near. It's important for them to uh, reverse their monetary policy. You know, they went from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. And they should have done this when times were good. But instead, for the first time in a while, they are forced to hike rates, which slows economic activity, into a recession, which is already a slowing of economic activity. And you know, it, it wasn't really expected, but the 10-year Treasury did drop to 2.65%. Uh, I did not expect that at all. And likewise, some other stuff that was unexpected, gold and silver actually rallied really hard on Wednesday. Gold was up a little bit better than 2%, and silver was up as much as 7%. And those are the biggest daily gains for both of them since March, when we saw the Ukraine and uh, Russia situation start unraveling or unfolding, whatever. And, you know, we see the, the recession news. You would think that all of this stuff would sell off, but it didn't, stock market didn't really sell off that much. So that is interesting. Uh, the miners, although, they, they didn't increase like I would think they would. Usually, I look at the silver price and I look at the silver miners, gold and gold miners and whatnot. If you see silver's up like two or 3%, you might expect like a four, five, six, seven, eight percent gain on some of the miners, like First Majestic Silver, uh, Endeavor Silver. You know, there's a lot of silver miners out there. But with silver being up seven percent, I think the miners were only up four or five percent. I would have expected more, but it didn't happen. I wasn't trading that day, so you know, I I honestly could care less. So uranium has moved a little bit up, forty-nine dollars and fifty cent. Uh, per pound, nothing, nothing extravagant in there. The uranium miners actually did move up a little bit last week, but that was with the broader market. I do think that the kind of incentive price for uranium uh, to, well, I shouldn't say the incentive price. Uh, right now, the uranium miners and most stocks, they're kind of coupled in with the broader markets. So if you see the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ taking an absolute crap, then you will likely see all the other stocks taking a crap as well. But I think once uranium gets more serious and uh, maybe when the spot price gets up near $65, $70, and we see more institutional money flow in and more uh, permanent bulls in there, then I think it'll kind of decouple from the markets. So you could see the major indices have a down day but yet have uranium miners have an update. But it hasn't decoupled yet, and I do think that could happen later on this year. I am kind of bullish going into the winter, especially with all these energy crises going around in the, in the world right now. So before I get into the scoreboard, uh, there's 
couple things I want to discuss. Uh, oh, what I mentioned earlier, I wanted to talk about the recessions and how these have played out in the past. I read a really interesting article on Investopedia, great resource. Check that out for a lot of your financial news, unbiased information, it's really helpful. Uh, the US has experienced 34 recessions since 1857, and they have a span, a lifespan of two months, which that was the shortest recession of all time, that was in March of 2020, and they can be as long as five years. But the average of those comes out to 17 months. So you might be able to look at the average and suspect that you know we are six months into a recession right now because that's two quarters of declining GDP. We might be six months into a 17-month recession, but the thing is with this, recessions have gotten easier to control because of monetary policy. Central banks around the world, especially ours, the Federal Reserve, they are more quick and proficient with their monetary policies to combat it. So if, if there is a recession looming or problems arising, they can slash interest rates to generate more economic activity. They can print money to inject into the economy for artificial stimulation. And those might be able to end a, rece a recession much quicker. And that is what ended the 2020 recession uh, in only two months. But I think there is a potential consequence with that because every time we use monetary policy to shorten a recession, we are only inflating these bubbles in the stock market, the bond market, kind of just everywhere in the economy. We're inflating these bubbles even bigger, which makes the pop a little bit more dangerous. And we, we can kick the can down the road, and we have kicked the can down the road many times so far, especially in the, the great financial crisis. So will those chickens come home to roost during this recession? Will they come back for the next recession? I don't have a magic eight ball. I'm not a genie. I don't know. But looking at those facts, I might be able to make a guess. Actually, I can't make a guess because I, I really have no idea because nothing makes sense. I mean, there's, there's just so many independent factors. Uh, so the sixth recession since 1980, they lasted an average of 10 months. So that brings that 17-month average down to 10 months, which if this recession is an average recession, then we're already 60% of the way through it. So that could be good for anybody who still wants the markets to go up and whatnot. Of the, of the 25 bear markets since 1928, 14 of them were in a recession. So just because we have a bear market, which we technically don't yet, because a bear market is defined as 20% decline from the top in the major indices, it is not mutually exclusive to have either or with the other. So a bear market doesn't mean a recession, and a recession doesn't really mean a bear market. We're in a recession without a bear market, and 14 of the 25 bear markets, uh, they did overlap with recession. So... Uh, another thing that I noticed in this article that uh, I kind of knew, but I didn't really quantify it in my own mind, is that most of the time these recessions, they are preceded with tightening in the monetary supply and monetary policy and whatnot. And this brings me back to my point. We are 
decreasing this economic activity by raising rates and pulling money out of the system when it's most crucial that the money stays in the system and most crucial that the economic activity doesn't be decreased by raising rates. We're already hurting right now. The recession isn't very good. People are still struggling a lot, especially with inflation. And it would have been a much better idea to hike these interest rates when times were good, maybe in 2017 through 2019. But actually, President Trump kind of urged Jerome Powell to lower interest rates. And as you guys know, I criticize both sides because, I mean, no sides are perfect. Now, I do criticize the Biden administration a lot more because I think they're far more inefficient and more divisive than the Trump administration. But Trump did urge interest rates to be lowered when they didn't need to be lowered, and then he took credit for the booming economy, which it was booming, technically. But now we're in this crisis right now, and in that scenario, we should have been raising rates, and maybe we could have not necessarily avoided this altogether because the responses to the pandemic involving printing of trillions of dollars and lowering interest rates even more, but maybe some of the hardship could have been avoided. But in hindsight, it's easier to see that now. Uh, a few other things that I thought were interesting. Uh, so college tuition outpaces salaries by 10x over the last, uh, or since 1985. So with college tuitions rising, you would think that wages would rise with it or the tuition would rise with wages, but indeed it hasn't. And this might be a good argument for the inefficiency of college, uh, or maybe not the inefficiency. Actually, I, I do call it inefficient, and for a lot of people it is unnecessary. Doctors, lawyers, engineers, 100%. You need a degree for that, but there are a lot of degrees that don't really give you very good life skills, and they don't give you the skills to increase a company's economic output uh, it's kind of just like a cash cow. You know, the government backs all these loans, so they have an incentive to increase the cost of tuition because the government backs the loans, so they're virtually risk-free. And we see what the result has come from that. Another interesting thing, BlackRock, the largest financial asset manager on the planet, lost $1.7 trillion worth of investors' funds in the first six months of 2022. This is, the, this is the biggest loss of any private institution in the history of the world. And personally, I don't like BlackRock. Their associations with the World Economic Forum have led me to distance myself from them and actually really resent them. I don't like them. I'm not a fan of the guy who runs it. He's in with the World Economic Forum, and I disagree with everything the World Economic Forum is doing. Before we get off of, well, I stopped talking about uranium earlier, but I did get an update on the market cap of all the uranium miners on the stock market, and it's still only $40 billion. So that just shows you how infinitely small this very crucial market is. I mean, uranium and nuclear power, it is the future. It's clean energy, way better than oil. It's more efficient than pretty much any other energy source out there. It's better than solar. It's better than wind. And it is so tiny. I mean, ExxonMobil is like a $300 billion market cap, and that's just one oil company. These are all the uranium miners on the planet. 
or at least the New York Stock Exchange. I didn't get a specification of that, but they are mostly on the New York Stock Exchange. This is the most liquid and biggest market uh, for stock trading in the world. So it just goes to show how much they can still move. And I like to give an example of this by referring to the dog coin incident of 2021. Yeah, it was last year. So everyone knows Dogecoin. It went from, I got in at a fifth of a penny and it ended up going to 75 cents. Now I made a full exit when it was at eight cents. And obviously I knew this was not a sound investment. It had no economic utility. It had no purpose. It had no reason to be worth what it was worth. But when I saw that it got to about a nine or $10 billion market cap, I thought there is no reasonable way that no, no reason it would go any higher, like a $10 billion market cap. I mean, that's worth more than some of these energy companies out there. There is no reason it should be worth that much. So if it were to double from there, it would require another $10 billion, which, you know, obviously it would double the market cap. So all those investors that came in to get it to what it was worth at that point, the same amount of money would have to come in to double the price. And then there's, there is some law or some rule or guideline that talks about how the more gains you get, the riskier it becomes because twice as much money is needed to double it up again. And with Dogecoin going from $10 billion to a $20 billion market cap, I was like, I was pessimistic at a $10 billion market cap, so I was twice as pessimistic at a $20 billion market cap, but it, it ended up going up to a $90 billion market cap, give or take, of course. And that's twice as much as the entire uranium market, at least the miners. So this stupid dog coin that provides no utility to our planet is worth twice as much as the best energy source on the planet and all the miners that are pulling it out of the ground. Doesn't make sense to me. So for that reason, I see the uranium total market cap of all the stocks. I see it being a trillion dollars, maybe in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And that would indicate some massive, massive upside moves, especially in the smaller, uh, well-managed uranium miners and explorers. So that's something worth checking out. I am bullish on uranium. Am I bullish on everything else? Actually, at the moment, I am bearish. I think these jumps that we've seen in crypto as of late, these jumps we've seen in the stock market as of late, I think they very easily could be a dead cap bounce. Uh, I don't see this situation uh, playing out in the near future. I mean, nothing has been fixed. We're six months into a recession and all these problems, they haven't been solved. Inflation is still here. Uh, we're still ha experiencing all this economic hardship. And actually, I wanted to discuss something that Elon Musk tweeted. He mentioned that he thinks that inflation has peaked. And I think there is sound reasoning behind that because the latest numbers for the consumer price index were June to June of 2021 to 2022. And what have we seen since the end of June? We've seen gas prices decline significantly. Thankfully, we needed that. And we, we saw mortgage demand for housing go to a 22-year low. So it might be reasonable to expect that housing prices could dip. 
but I don't think they'll crash. But before I mention that, I want to finish what I was saying about inflation. So there's inflation, there's deflation. Inflation is the loss of purchasing power of your dollars. Deflation is the decreasing of asset prices, which would give you an increase in the purchasing power of your dollars. But disinflation is different from both of those. Disinflation is actually a slowing down of inflation. So we saw 9.1% inflation. If the next number was, say, 8.1%, we would be able to label that as disinflation because the rate of inflation has decreased. So back to the housing, I saw an interesting statistic, and I feel like this is worth mentioning because I feel like it's a common joke or common knowledge that in millennials are just waiting for the housing market to crash. Now, I do think that is wishful thinking, and even if it did happen, this crash wouldn't pan out in weeks. It wouldn't pan out in months. It would likely pan out over years. And a statistic that I found to back that up was that during the great financial crisis, the greatest monthly decline in housing prices was only 1.19%. So you have a $300,000 house that's only you know, $3,600 off your, off your home price. So it's not even anything significant. Uh, so I think the most likely scenario is that home prices slowly decrease, but they do not crash. So I feel like that's a good spot to wrap up the first section of Max's Morning Market Mania. And we will take a quick break. And next will be the Max's Monday Morning Market Mania Minute. Thank you. Max, Monday Morning Market Mania Minute returns. I'm here to wrap up the weekly and monthly gains of the major asset prices. And here we go. Bitcoin crypto market had a crazy good week and month. 4.3% on the week and 20.3% on the month for Bitcoin. Ethereum did quite a bit better. 8.9% on the week and 56% on the month. Polygon or Matic up 94% on the month. Cadena 29% on the week and 33% on the month. We did pretty good. And inflation hedges, gold up 3.35% on the week, minus 1.8% on the month. Silver did absolutely phenomenal, 10.7% on the week and 2.1% on the month. They had their best trading day since March of 2020, or March of this year, sorry. Uh, crude oil down 3.26%, down 3% on the month. We saw it decline a little bit. That was really good. Dow Jones up 3% on the week, up 7.5% on the month. NASDAQ did a little bit better, plus 4.78% on the week and 13.8% on the month. S&P 500 up 4.2% on the week and 10.2% on the month. And that is Max Money Morning Market Mania Minute. <laughs> 